Well, good morning. Before we get into the word this morning, I want to say happy anniversary to my wife. We are uh, celebrating our seven years of, aniver- or of, of being married today, and so uh, thank you, thank you. We, uh, if you would have said on your seventh year wedding anniversary you would be at a church in Texas, I would have said no, we will not. <laughs> no, we are actually a little, we're, we're from North Carolina, and so Catherine and I, we got down here in January, and uh, some of you know, but the really just crazy God story is... Um, the way we got here, our son, he's adopted from Ethiopia, and Justin, the pastor, his son is adopted from Ethiopia. They were crib mates at an orphanage in Ethiopia together. So uh, when you think you've done something, I think about that, and it's just like, God, I could have never done that. I could have never put that together. So it's, it's humbling to be here, and we're excited to be here, and uh, just be a part of Stone Oak and seeing what God's doing. Um, I've known I was going to preach these verses. We got the, the calendar of, of our preaching schedule back in February, I believe. It was the first time I saw it. And so I've just been reading over these verses and reading over these verses. So some of y'all are going to be like, wow, you've known you were going to preach this since February, and that's all you got for us? <laughs> but I'm a youth pastor, okay? I'm a youth pastor, so it's all good. <laughs> so here's what we got. We're going to go a couple different places this morning. Um, but throughout... Our sermon, I, w- I want you to keep this, this one thing in front of your mind. Um, I looked up a couple different versions of the Bible. If you have the ESV, the heading at the beginning of chapter 4, it says, warning against worldliness. And so I thought I would just look up a couple other, um, couple other, other books or Bibles, see what, what they said in different translations. So the NIV, it says, submit yourselves to God. And then I've got a Holman Christian standard Bible I use. It says, proud or humble. And then one of the commentaries I have, it says, how to end wars. So I looked at those. I'm like, those are four really different things. Like, where? I'm confused already. I haven't even started yet. So um, I just kind of started praying through this. And as I prayed and I just kind of opened my heart to God, one thing just kept popping to the front of my mind is proud or humble. Proud or humble. So that's what I want you to think about this morning as we go through these verses. Proud or humble. That's the theme uh, for, for today. So I want you to examine your heart this morning, and as we go through, just, just look inside, and I, I pray that you just open up your heart to see if there is any pride inside of you, because as we're about to read, it's, it's serious stuff. What is humility? Humility is having a low, low view of yourself, right? Low view of yourself and a higher view of others. Don't think you're, you're too big deal, too big for your britches, as they say in North Carolina. I don't know if they say that here, but uh, don't, don't think too highly of yourself. And then when we think about pride, pride's the opposite, right? Pride is the highest view of yourself. Everyone else is second class compared to you. And so I was looking up, and C.S. Lewis, he called pride the great sin. And this is how he described it in uh, the book Mere Christianity. It says, according to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Pride and humility. Keep those in your mind today. Pride equals a complete anti-God state of mind. Humility, low view of self. And as a believer, the highest view possible of Christ who's inside of you. I love the book of James because it's so practical. And I promise you this morning... I'm the third person that, that's been able to preach here, Craig and Justin. 
I am the most practical, least scholarly of the three guys we got here, okay? So I'm going to keep it. I love just reading James because you can read it and you just apply it. You don't have to look at anything. You don't have to read commentaries. You just read the book and you can go and, it, and, and do what it says. So that's what we're going to do this morning. James chapter 4 starts with a question. Verse 1, it says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Then James answers that question with another, with another question. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? And then he tells us what our passions are. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Really, you could add any sin into this verse, in, chapter, in verse 2, because the essence of sin is selfishness. The essence of sin is selfishness. So it doesn't matter what the sin is. It all goes back to selfishness. It all goes back to pride. And then he tells us what you have to do in the first place, or he tells us why we have the problems. He doesn't tell us really how to fix it. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. Simple enough, right? So we just ask. Is that it? Not quite. When we look at verse 3, we see our first theme of humility. The opposite of humility is pride, and then another word for pride is selfishness. And so selfishness, it's, it's a scary thing because it leads to wrong motives. And our wrong motives can lead to wrong praying. And when our prayer life is wrong, our whole Christian life is wrong. And so selfish living, selfish praying, they always lead to war, like it talks about in verse 1. If you're at war on the inside, if your heart's at war, you're going to be at war on the outside as well. You guys probably know people that are constantly at war with themselves because of selfish desires. They're such unhappy people. No matter what they do, no matter who they're in contact with, they're just, they're angry because they want what other people have. They're mad they don't have this. They're mad they don't have that. And then, you know, it always comes, if, if it was just that one thing, if I could just get that one thing, everything, everything would be good. For me, when I'm not walking with the Lord like I should, my one thing, I know this is dumb, it's a motorcycle. If I just had the motorcycle, like, I know everything would be good. It would be. But then, you know, God humbles me, and I come to my senses, and it would be awesome to have a motorcycle. But it wouldn't help anything, you know? It wouldn't, it wouldn't do anything because it's what's in our heart. It's that pride, that evil in our heart, that's what causes us to be at war with ourselves. It's not a motorcycle. <laughs> so I read a book a couple years ago that changed my life, and it was called One Word. The book was called One Word. And basically, this book, it was real short. I like short books. And it was, it was like small, and it was short, so that was even better. You know what I mean? It wasn't a big book. So uh, I'm reading this book. It's like 50-some pages. I can handle that. And basically, it goes through the beginning of the book. It tells you, like, the stats on um, New Year's resolutions. So I don't know if you guys do New Year's resolutions, but it, I think it's like 70% of New Year's resolutions are already wiped out by January the 16th, I believe. <laughs> so good job, everybody. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, the rest of them, by June, it's, it's done. They're game over. So this book, what it does is it asks you to pray and to think through one word to base your whole year off of. One word. And so you, it kind of gives a little process, really good book, just how to pick your word and, and how to go with it. So uh, I started, I guess, three years ago. My first word was adoration. And so in all things, adore Christ, worship Christ, no matter what the circumstances, no matter how good, how bad, in everything, just worship Christ. I kind of felt like I needed to do like a Christian word, you know, for my first year. And so uh, then the second year, my word was go, go, simple, G-O. And we did. Kat and I, we, uh, we went to Ethiopia, 
And then a little bit later, God said, go. And we left the church we had been serving at for six years. And then um, again, he says, go. And um, we actually came to Texas this year, but we kind of knew we were going to be coming to Texas last year. So this word, the, the more you pray over it and you really let it just kind of sink in, it really does. It kind of changes how you think of your year. So this year, my word is satisfy. And that's another reason these words in James chapter 4, they've just been piercing my heart. Because, you know, what, what am I using to satisfy my desires, my passions? James talks about it, you know, and, and I've had to question myself, you know, are my passions driving me? Is that what I want to be satisfied by? Or am I really living that, that Christ is the only thing that can satisfy me? Verse 3, it says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Have you ever prayed the wrong prayer? I think about that, and I feel like sometimes when I'm praying, all I do, I just start asking God for stuff, constantly, just asking, asking, asking. So a couple years ago, I realized, like, I didn't know how to pray. <laughs> so I thought, I need to read a book about prayer. And so I read this book, really deep, uh, deep name, it was called Prayer, by uh, Richard Foster. And this book, what it basically did was, um, it, it was good, it, it didn't really give you specific prayers and say, this is the answer these, these, these. But it just kind of told about some different kinds of prayers throughout the Bible. And, um, but one thing I really liked about it is the practice I started after reading this book. It said, when you feel like you're just praying about your wants and your desires all the time, try praying the Psalms. Start out by praying the Psalms in your quiet time because what the Psalms do is it turns everything away from you. And in a lot of the Psalms, we're just telling God who he is. You know, it has nothing to do with us. It's just we're telling God who he is. And when we do that, Man, it just gives you such confidence and such peace in knowing who God is. It reminds us who he is, but also we're telling him. And, and then you really, you just forget about your desires. You, you can rest knowing that, hey, this is who I believe in. This is who I trust. And this is what the word says about him. I'm good. You know, who cares about my desires anymore? We can really rest in that. But if we're honest about selfish praying, basically it's us trying to persuade God to do things that we want. You know, well, really, that's what, that's what selfish praying is, is, is trying to convince God to do things the way we want them done. When's the last time you pray for something that wasn't your desire? And I think about even good things. You know, I pray for my family to be safe. pray for people who are sick to be well. I pray for our church to grow. I pray for all these good things, but then I still have to examine my heart. You know, why am I praying for these? Am I praying because they're my passions, because I want it? Or am I really praying it because this is what God wants? This is his plan. One of the most misused verses in all the Bible, Psalm 34, is seven, seven, it says, or 37, 4, it says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. And a lot of times, people kind of add it to this James, and it comes out, You do not have because you do not ask. Ask, and he will give you your heart's desires. But we're forgetting that first little part, Take delight in the Lord. You know, we want most of the time for God to give us our desires so we can use them for our passions. And that's not, that's not how it's supposed to be. We only get our heart's desires when those desires match up with God's heart. And anything that's not in the word is our desire. It's not his desire, it's ours. So that, that goes back to pride, and God hates pride. Verse 4, it says, You adulterous people, you do, not know, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 
Now it's getting serious. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have much biblical background, but in the Bible, any enemy of God, it turns out really bad for them. Okay, every time, in every story in the entire Bible, it turns out bad for enemies of God. And so I think about that. And in a church setting, you know, none of us would say, I'm an enemy of God. None of us, right? But the question is this, would God say you're an enemy of him because of the pride in our hearts? And a Christian, a Christian gets involved with the world gradually. It never just happens overnight. It's, it's a gradual thing. And, and the more we turn to our passions, our desires, our pride, the more we turn away from Christ. And that's when it happens. No one before they get married, James calls it an, an adulterous people. You know, we're celebrating our seven years today, and, and no one before you get married says, I'm going to commit adultery. That never happens, right? You would never say that. But I think about Christ and, and us being the bride of Christ, the church. And this I thought about this throughout the last couple weeks. It's really broken me. You know, Christ married us knowing we were going to cheat. That's how great his love is for us. He knew it. He knew how sinful we are. He knew we were going to go back and, and we were going to break his heart. And he still chose to love us. And that's so humbling to just, just to think about the way we act and to think about how so many times we do, we do want our desires more than anything. And we just forget God, you know, just... Stay in the background. We'll, we'll do it now. We'll do it. We'll, we'll call you when we need you, right? But God loved us anyway, and he chose us. He chose us, knowing how bad and how sinful we are. In verse 5, it says, or do, do you suppose it is no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? This is what verse 5 is talking about. In our body, if we're followers of Christ, there's two things always at war. The flesh, the sinful nature, and the Holy Spirit. Always. And they're on opposite sides of every fight, always on opposite sides. They're always at war within us. The, the, our flesh, our sinful nature wants more than anything to hush, to quiet the Holy Spirit. That's his job. The flesh, if he can quiet the Holy Spirit in us, he's doing what he wants. Our, our desires, our wants are flowing, right? But then the Holy Spirit wants more than anything. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit knows he knows what it's like when we're in communion, when we're in constant communication with God. And he wants that for us. So when it talks about that he yearns jealously, God wants more than anything that Holy Spirit to quiet our flesh so that we can be in, commun in communication with him and be in constant just love and, and just walk in our relationship with the Father. He wants that. So when we allow our flesh to control our mind, we miss out on that fellowship with God. When we allow the flesh to control our mind. I don't know if you've caught this vibe or not so far this morning, but as I'm preparing this sermon, I'm like, good grief. This is depressing. <laughs> you know, it's hard. What's going on? And so uh, I don't know if I've said anything positive yet in these verses. I don't know if James has either. We get to, let's look back real quick. Verse, starting in verse 2. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. It's pretty bad, but it's all about to change. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you kind of thought things were going, kind of heading a certain way, 
And then out of nowhere, boom, something changes. Um, I've been looking, and I don't, you guys have probably seen them too, the uh, videos of a military mom or dad coming home and surprising their kid. Uh, I saw one the other day. It was really funny. They, it was a lot of planning. So these three, it's two brothers and a little girl, maybe like a cousin or something. They're, they think they're having a birthday party for somebody. Okay, so they got these big signs that say, happy birthday, so-and-so. And um, the plan was they were going to stand in the garage, and the mom was going to shut the garage door, and then their friend was coming over, and then they were going to raise the garage door, and they were going to have these signs. And so uh, they, they, oh, they were hyped, too, the, the, you know, elementary school kids. So they're all excited about it. And the mom shuts it. She gets the call. She shuts it. As soon as the garage door shuts, the dad is hiding in the truck who's just come home from deployment. So he just stands in front of the garage door. And uh, <laughs> so <laughs> the garage door opens, and these signs are so big, y'all, the kids can't see anything. So their dad's standing right there, and they have no idea. They're just holding the sign. They're holding the sign. They're doing such a good job holding the sign. And finally, one of them, like, he's like, what, what's going on? And you can see his face. When he drops the sign, he's like, what is, he, what is going on? He's mad. He's like, what is going on? And he sees his dad. And he just drops it and takes off. And then the other brother takes off. And they run and they jump in their dad's arms. He embraces them. It's so cool. Those, those videos are so incredible. But no matter how incredible that is, verse 6 is better. Okay, it's better than that. Look what happens here. But he gives more grace. God wants us to depend, depend on his grace, which only comes through humility. You know, Satan wants us to depend on ourselves, which is pride. I feel, like, I feel like this verse isn't supposed to be here, you know? After reading all that stuff, I think about me. I think about myself, my desires, and, and then I realize it's only through God's grace. But he gives more grace. Every time I read, I just, just take a deep breath. And I was, at night as I was studying these verses, I, I just get stuck right here. And I, I wouldn't want to read it anymore. I just want to just, but he gives more grace. In these five words, James shows us that pride, our pride, gets us nowhere. Nowhere. Only through accepting God's grace. That's the only way we can live out who we're called to be in the body of Christ. And then therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I don't know if you realize that the seriousness of this verse. I want to kind of <laughs> play it out for you. It doesn't say God does not like pride. Okay? It, it says God opposes the proud. So here are a couple synonyms, none of which I want to do with God. Compete against God. That, we know how that would turn out. Do battle with, clash with, be in conflict with. Those are some strong things, all because of pride. That's why God hates pride so much. That's why the, the Holy Spirit yearns, God yearns jealously over the Holy Spirit to get that out of our lives we can't do anything when there's pride in our lives. We can only accomplish what we want to accomplish, which isn't very much. Pride is a strange beast because if you think about it, a lot of times when we fall into sin, it's because we're not walking with the Lord. You know, most sin that we fall into, we've fallen away. We've kind of forgotten about God. But Satan uses pride differently. He'll destroy you with pride when you're doing the most or working the hardest for Christ. It's like it's such a strange sin and I know uh, for me, when, when Catherine and I decided to adopt, um, when we started that process, there was nothing in me that was doing it for anybody else. Like we knew it was Christ that was calling us to do this. And so 
going through all the paperwork and the first two things, first couple months, you know, I was really humble and I was just like focused on God and I wasn't focused on anybody else. And then when you adopt, people say really nice things to you, all right? People say really good things and just talk about how cool it is. And so when we get to Ethiopia, I started hearing those things and I started thinking they were me. And in that moment, when we were adopting our son, I wish I could say that's what I think about the most still to this day. But we were over in Ethiopia, and it was myself and um, three, other, three other people were walking. We decided to go down to the grocery store, and this guy knew kind of like a back way to go. And uh, so we're walking, and we come around the corner. If you can imagine like a third world country city, that's what, it, what, what Addis Ababa is, just like pieces of metal kind of taped up, whatever, for, for uh, fences, different stuff like that. So we turned this corner, and all of a sudden, things just got really eerie. And there were some kind of people walking around and stuff. Well, we keep walking, and then people start, like, going into their, behind their fences and, like, shutting their doors. And it was just strange. And so we turned the corner, and there was a man laying face down in the road. And in this moment, literally, the story of the Good Samaritan, it literally started playing through my head. Me as a pastor, a priest, (laughs) and in that moment, I chose to walk by on the other side of the road. In this time that we were adopting our son, that we were doing something so good, I let pride get in, and it, it destroyed me. It destroyed me, and I just think about that. It was, you know, sometimes with the word, when we read things, we kind of have to figure out how to apply it in our world today. This was literally the story of the Good Samaritan. Like, I was in it, and I still mess it up. Because why? Because my pride. I started thinking I was somebody. You know, oh, you adopted a little boy. So good for you. No. It was all, every good gift is from God. Every good gift. And we start thinking anything else. We're wrong. And that's the pride within us. And so in that moment, I thought I was more important than that man. And (laughs) it was, we are never above the temptation of pride. Ever. We are never above the temptation of pride no matter where we are because it's Satan's greatest sin. And the flesh is always going to be at war within us. And then finally in in James 7, we finally start to get the answers of how we get over this, how we get through this. And verse 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. True humility equals love, period. True humility equals love. And I came across a quote that I thought was really powerful. It says this. It says, you don't need to defend yourself when you understand what the Bible says about humility. And I, that was another one of those things I just kind of looked at. I'm like, man, that's so good. You don't need to defend yourself when you understand what the Bible says about humility. As I was praying and just looking over these verses, I started looking through the word and, and seeing what stories, what verses talk about humility. And it was funny, I met with Justin earlier in the week, and so he started popping all these stories and different verses about humility. Well, they were none of the ones I had thought of. And the reason is because there's so many. You know, sometimes pastors will try to get like a verse and pull it and try to stick it in with this thing. Well, humility is like the opposite. You never, 
we, we could never find enough. <laughs> I could sit up here all day, just read verses about humility because it's such, it's so clear to such a uh, close thing to God's heart. And so just a couple things I want to look through here. Think about back to Noah. And if Noah sitting there building that boat, I mean, you know, people are mean. You know what people are saying to him, you know, like talking to how, how much of an idiot he was, like, why are you doing this? Well, and just the humility it took for him to say, I'm going to stay focused. I'm going to stay focused on what God's called me to do. And then think about Moses, who couldn't even talk. He's like, I can't do this, God. God's like, you're good. And send, send somebody with you. Just trust me. Trust me. So for Moses to, to not back out and to say, all right, God, I'm going to humble myself before you. I'm going to do it. And now think about Zacchaeus. You know, a tax collector already had a bad rap. A short guy. No, no offense to short people. But, uh, <laughs> but he was really short, right? But think about this guy who... In that culture, right, we know what tax collectors were thought of in that culture. Just bad people. So already, you know he heard the whispers all the time about him being a tax collector. To climb up in a tree because you couldn't see, that's, that takes humility. He could have so easily just said, who cares about this? I got everything I need. I don't need to see him. But what did he do? Because Zacchaeus climbed up in that tree, got rid of his humility or, or got rid of his pride, He's in the Bible. He's famous. We all read about him. We sing a little song about him, right? And then think about Paul in Corinthians when he, he lists that paragraph of everything he's been through. And then he concludes it with, I'm not going to boast in that. I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. I'm going to boast in the things I've messed up in. All those people that are so just perfect examples of, of what it means, what God can do when we get rid of our pride. And the last couple of verses I want to read here Luke 18, the Pharisee and the tax collector. Just listen to this example of, of pride. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed like this, God, I thank you I am not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And then Mark 9, 35, Jesus says, he sat down and called the twelve and said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And then finally, I don't think you can talk about humility without going to Philippians chapter 2 and just reading what Jesus, this is Christian humility. These verses right here, this is what it says. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even to death on a cross. I close with this this morning. Humble acts don't always equal humility. It's what's in our heart. You know, a person could train themselves to do a bunch of things that look humble to the world, but that's not what it's about. Apart from a relationship with Christ, humility is worthless. <laughs> It's worthless. And so God 
wants first and foremost for us to give him our heart, a clean heart, a pure heart, as we just read what, what James calls us to do. You know, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Before we humble our hearts, God can't use us. You know, he can't use us. We can, we can get a long way. We can think we're, we're going a long way. But until we get rid of that pride in our, in our hearts, that's where it begins. That's where it begins. So this morning, as we close and, and just as I pray, I just, I just want you to examine your heart. You know, where, where could pride be hiding? Where could it be, it be flaring up? And as we come to the communion table here in a minute, as Justin leads us through that, uh, I pray that, that verse 10, we just humble, humble ourselves before the Lord and allow him to exalt us instead of exalting ourselves. Let's pray. Lord, this is not a happy, joyful, peppy scripture, but until we're broken, <laughs> we're worthless to you. So I pray this morning, um, it's not comfortable, it's not easy to be broken, but in my heart, God, in the hearts of the people this morning, if, if it's in there, I pray, God, you just show it to us. Show us our pride. Help us not to think we can accomplish anything, anything on our own, but know that everything comes from you. Thank you for breaking me as I've been reading over these verses, God, and I pray this morning that as Stone Oak Bible Church, God, we just humbly just open our hearts to you and allow you just to clean us and make us whole. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.